G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to Footyology. This is the round 15 preview edition on a very crisp and lovely Melbourne winter's morning. As I say, a uh, very good morning to my co-host Mark Fine. How good, are you, Fine? Good morning, Rowan. I'm well, looking forward to a fuller round. I don't know whether we've been conditioned to expect a chock-full football weekend, but I'm glad that we once again have, have it because I fe- I'm I, looking I, forward to some more chock. Pardon? Full. Yeah. I don't know. Don't, don't you agree? You know, once what's he saying? Once you've seen Paris, it's hard to keep <laughs> no, there's whoever some, on the farm. Well, I expect, you know, I'm used to nine games a week. Yeah, no, there's something about the buy rounds. So I don't mind them, but, I mean, it is a bit of a stretch sometimes to, you know, um, maintain the interest in the face of some ordinary games. So um, everyone's back on deck and the race for the finals, uh, I guess, begins in earnest with nine games left. I guess it's probably best discussed in news segment, but very quickly, the suggestion next year that we just have one weekend of a buy? No, nah, I, I don't mind. I reckon if you've got to have a buy, I don't mind this setup because you get at least six games over three weeks. You know, some people prefer a week off, but seriously, over I reckon about fifteen years now, we've tried every single format. We've tried, you know, even back to when it was eight games a week. You know, four and four, six and two, seven and one. You know, and it, there was a problem seemingly with every one of them. So. It's never going to be ideal, uh, so I, I'm okay with the six six six. I just think Thursday night footy during the six games is a bit of a stretch, but apparently that's for logistical reasons. We'll see how it plays out. I, I tell you what, at I, the end of the year, in regards that decision, you know what I would like whilst we're doing this podcast. So unfortunately, can't have now a trip to Europe, a big juicy hamburger. If you can't get to Even Europe. at half past eight in the morning. <laughs> Says something about us because I agree. There's nothing wrong with a brekkie burger. You just have the normal burger with an egg on it, I guess. And that would be best served at Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And I promise you this. If you go there and have a burger, you're going to find it hard to accept any other burger thereafter. You'll be comparing and the comparison will be, unfortunately, pale when compared to Andrew's. That's funny you said pale, because as soon as you said that, I immediately thought of the phrase, once you go black, you'll never go back. About coffee. Oh, I didn't know what that... <laughs> black doesn't crack. That you know, the, the light in flying high when the two little kids are in the seats and um, and the, the boy offers the girl cream and she goes, no, thank you. I have black, like my men. Really? Yeah. Interesting. You haven't seen Flying High? Yeah, of course I have. Don't you remember that scene? I don't remember much. I saw it 35 years ago. Okay. I've seen it about 35 times, I think. Uh, Incidentally, while we're talking about sponsors, um, 
as you're aware, uh, I was at the Community Cup last Sunday and uh, bumped into my good mate Albo, Anthony Albanese, opposition leader. I happen to be wearing my Nick Spartels and Hardwick Bilco windsheeter. Uh, next thing you know, I've got Albo's advisors on the line. Apparently, he's Renault's. He's looking for Nick to do it. He should get him done by Nick. Yeah, you know where they're at? Where? The Lodge, about three years from now. Oh, is that right? <laughs> You're counting your chickens before they hatch <laughs> no, again? No, no, just, no, I won't do that again. Would he, would he move into the Lodge with Clive Palmer? I uh, doubt it. I <laughs> <laughs> doubt it. No, that's an unlikely union, I, I suspect. My word it is. Nick Bartels and Build Co. will renovate your house or build you a new house if you're you know, in a city, Melbourne. I reckon they'd do it if you were out of city, Melbourne, and you said you loved footyology because he loves the program. We love him. And we love doing this podcast. And without any further ado, adieu or adieu? Adieu. Adieu. Um, We're going to get into it. Nine games on the menu. We'll preview them shortly. But first, let's talk about some of the big news stories this week. On footyology, news feed. Rightio, uh, a bit around, um, some different sort of stories, and uh, I think you'd agree, Finey, yesterday, uh, as in Wednesday, um, a pretty disturbing story, really, with uh, Mark Bomber-Thompson's court appearance over those drug charges that he's on, and... um, I suggest everyone have a read of that story and his evidence because um, it's pretty confronting. When I say confronting, it's confronting when it's someone you know reasonably well and um, if nothing else, the evidence he gave really gave you some insight into the um, extent of his uh, fall from grace and... You know, on a on a human level, the the rights and wrongs of you know what happened aside, it's it's just very sad to see someone fall from um, you know such a successful position and and uh, with a, a great legacy in whatever field they've chosen to where uh, he was at, and you know the evidence being tendered, it was all from around sort of two years ago. Um, I, I just found reading it really uh, quite, yeah, sad, really. It was a confronting story, wasn't it? 12 hours a day spent trading cryptocurrency. It, it is amazing that somebody that would have been very desirable in by the media, you know, immediate past coaches, especially one with a resume like his, could have stepped into the media. He's different, and I'm sure there would have been a place for him there. Became all consumed with basically something on his computer, in his home, drugs. Really sort of um, almost had withdrawn from the world. Yeah, well, and and also the way that, um, you know, the guy he's been linked to, Thomas Windsor, who was a bikey, gang member and is now a convicted drug trafficker, basically banged on his door and um, said good day and within a few weeks he, he was, he'd was moved in and was living with him. You know, yeah. I mean, jeez. Yep. It, it's, we do have to be careful, tread carefully here, of course, but simply to dismiss him and say, oh, well, you know, he's a druggie, throw him on the garbage heap with the rest of them, which is some people's attitude. 
is I think is old thinking. It's old thinking that is no has no more place in society today as as racism or sexism. Whilst I, you know, we would never condone. You don't condone any illegal practices, and it's something that hopefully he can fight back from. The suggestion is that he is doing so to dismiss him as uh, somebody not worth spending time over or somebody who's ruined his own life is very, very much old world thinking, I believe. Well, it is. And I I think you've only got to read what he said in court to sort of see the obvious um, nexus between drug issues and mental health issues. I mean, it's just... They're, they're peas in a pod. They're inextricably linked. And um, look, you know, when I say inextricably linked, I mean, you know, I'm sure not every single person who develops a drug habit has mental health issues, but they either, you know, my experience, any my experience with other people, you know, they either exacerbate existing mental health issues or they trigger mental health issues. Um, and, and you just got to ask yourself, you know, someone looking for that sort of escape um, you know, the artificial high, I mean, that doesn't, to begin with, that doesn't indicate a balanced, rational sort of state of mind, does it? No, of course not. Again, I don't know the complete details of this case, but having had the privilege of doing The Right Time on radio, a program with Gavin Krasiska, who's... And an excellent program it was, too. And, uh, and, and Mick Hall. Mm. You begin to learn and understand that there's di- there's a distinct difference between drug use, even habitual drug use, and addiction. Yeah. And addiction basically is a definition that kicks in when... And their definition of it was when faced with losing everything, family, job, basically everything that you've previously held dear when you're faced with that choice or keeping on using the drug or doing the behaviour that you're addicted to and you choose the behaviour or whatever practice you're addicted to or substance you're addicted to over those things, that's addiction. Mm. And it seems as though Mark Thompson had pretty much got there, hadn't he? Yeah. And, and, um... and, and, and by that definition, addiction is taken out of the hands of the person suffering it, that it, it, it is... an I know that some people don't like this term, but it becomes an illness when it can't be rational that you're willing to lose everything because there's so much self-loathing that comes with it, etc. You're willing to lose everything because you can't give up your addiction. And ice reportedly is one of the sort of easiest um, paths to to get addicted to. That's right. And unfortunately, one would say you've got to be pretty silly given everything that's known about ice or methamphetamine now to to touch it in the first place. Yeah. So, you know, I read this story and I, I did tweet something about it yesterday. And as I was tweeting, I was thinking some people, and I understand why, uh, when a high-profile person has a, an issue of this sort, they, they get sort of angry about it and say, well, you know, what about all the normal people that yep. have those issues? And And I think that's a good point. So what I'd hope is that, you know, okay, here's someone I know pretty well, and you know, a lot of people in the in the football world and footy media obviously know well. And you, because you know them, there's an automatic sort of empathy there. So, 
attempt to extend that to other people you don't know and people of a lesser profile when you hear about their issues rather than immediately dismiss them as, oh, you know, scum or whatever. Mm. You know, they are people with their own life stories and their own circumstances and the issues that they're dealing with and the escape routes they're taking are probably, in a lot of ways, exactly the same. So, you know, without sort of trying to make motherhood statements, you know, try and have a sense of empathy for everyone in this situation. And, you know, when we, and I know you've had a big involvement with RecLink and and those um, footy games and Community Cup for me and whatever, you know, think about all those people who um, are in those unfortunate situations and the help that they're trying to get and, and the agencies and the people in our society who are working their ass off to try to help these people and, um, you know, hopefully be a little more supportive and, and maybe even actively involved in these things because, and we hear this about ICE, it's a, it's a huge problem. And it, as regrettable as Bomber Thompson's situation is, because of his successful career with football and investments that he was able to make during his, to- during his time post-playing, I don't believe that finances are an issue for him. For most drug addicts and gambling addicts, finances become a key problem. And then the problem of criminality becomes part of the cycle, incarceration, and it becomes a very serious downward spiral. So understand that in the greater community, it reeks a, it reeks a, ver- a devastating harvest on all of us, you know, whether we are directly involved, whether we know people who are involved, or whether we just feel less safe as part of a community that has addiction, addiction issues. And yeah. it's not just drugs gambling and we'll touch on that now maybe with Eastern Wood. Yes. Is I was going to throw to that. Yep, go on. Know, we'll tell people what the story is. Well, Eastern Wood has come out and uh, the Bulldogs captain said that he would sort of theoretically he said, you know, not not if it could be implemented, he wouldn't want to be the only person to do this, but he would accept a pay cut if it meant the AFL was able to divorce itself from its growing reliance on gambling advertising. Yeah, which is a pretty, um, you know, sort of noble position to take, isn't it? Do you suspect many players would uh, be of a similar no. belief? No, I, 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 I don't either. But it's interesting that an individual shows far greater community responsibility and awareness of the situation than state governments from either side of the political fence because the... Or, or the people running the game of football. I, I, I take it above football. I, I'm not going to single the AFL out whilst other sports also uh, benefit from gambling advertising, whilst other sports and other organisations benefit from pokey venues. I don't think the AFL should be set aside and have the finger pointed at them, albeit they do mark themselves as leaders when it comes to social reform, so maybe they could take a stance here. But it all comes stems, I think, from the state government's enormous reliance. If, if you want to know, if, if, if we talk about 
drug addiction and the need to identify the Mr. Bigs, the drug lords, the people who were supplying the drugs, and I think everybody agrees that that's where you'd like to see the arrests made, then by extension, who are the greatest profiteers from gambling? Are they not similar to the peddlers of drugs? And the greatest profiteer is always the state government. It's an appalling situation that the state government makes so much money generally from people who can least afford to lose it. So, yeah, no, uh, spot on. Let, let me ask you this. I'm a bit naive about I'm not a punter at all. Um, the deregulation of the gambling industry, um, because that's what's really struck me. You know, I, when it started, I remember a couple of these uh, betting agencies sprung up and yeah. I thought, oh, yeah, okay, that's different. But then, you know, I wasn't counting on the extent of the proliferation. So when did that happen? And why wasn't that a bigger deal at the time? It slowly came in. It, it's, you know, sports... How well, long has it been? I would say 20 years right. since the first corporate bookmakers were seen, even maybe a bit earlier. Yeah. Originally, it was to facilitate, probably earlier than that, 30 years, it was to facilitate some betting on sport. It, these organisations, then the door was open for big international companies to come here and offer their bookmaking services. So who was the first of them? Was that like Ladbrokes? Yeah, or? I mean, you know, all of them, a lot of them, most of them have international connections now, having bought out smaller companies in Australia. They've been sort of consumed by larger companies. Now, as a punter from way back, I've got to say that I feel my, I find myself fortunate that from the day they started, I didn't like their modus operandi. I didn't like, I, I, it didn't suit me to put money into an account because knowing what I do about myself and what they know what gamblers are like, there's a big difference between having a bet and paying somebody out cash or having a bet and putting money into somebody's account. Mm. And they really know that until somebody withdraws from their account, they don't mind losing to them. It just keeps them active for longer. Yeah. So I have never had an account with any of these sports bookmakers. I never will. I'm not interested in any of their services. But they have become insidious. And they have, they, you always hear these special offers that seem too good to be true. You will pay out as soon as one team is 12 points ahead, etc., yeah, yeah. etc. Cetera, et cetera. That just puts me off more, though, because it makes it all too, you know, it's not, Simple. It doesn't seem simple to me. For some punters, that's incredibly attractive. But what they're offering, in many cases, is not a $50 payout or a win on your bet. Let's say you bet $50, but it's $50 of credits equivalent or the amount equivalent to your bet up to $50. And basically what it is, you can only use it to bet more with. Ah, yeah, okay. You can't actually take, in most cases, that's not a straight win. Yeah. And it's just a way of getting people involved and people see it. Winx is running and paying a dollar ten, but you can get even money and then read the conditions and all they really want is for you to open an account. Now, what the state government has allowed and also t- wets their beak in is the fact that these bookmakers and I don't know if you understand percentages, but the <laughs> I hope so. Well, b- bookmaking percentages. You see oh. Traditionally, a bookmaker would set his market at 110%. Yeah. Which means if you backed every horse evenly to win, to you could back every horse. You'd have to put on $110 to get 100 back. Basically, their take was 10% of, not quite, it doesn't work, you know, it was 110%, 10% over 
just an even money bet. It's now up to over 120% with these sports bookmakers, and it creeps up and up. So you see their head-to-head prices for a game. It's not even money, even money. It should be a little bit less than that, but it's becoming more and more less than that. And the other insidious thing they do is, and people don't know this, if you're a large punter with a successful record, they stop you betting with them. Oh, really? Very hard for big punters to bet with corporate bookmakers. What they want is mom, mom and pop to lose $50 a month with them or 50 a week with them. Yeah. And that's their, that's how they make their money. Final word on this. the um, I was thinking of the Bet365 ads. There's something a bit – I find something really weird about those ads. You know, the ones with um, – is it Anthony LaPaglia? He's the – those ads so blend. I don't know. I was trying to think. Yeah, they're all bet the same. Bet one, two, three. Bet three, yeah, six, but, five. But, sports bet. I don't know. What, I don't know who's who. No, but that one has stuck in my head because I, I always think the people in them, the people they show gambling. You know, there's like a little Mexican man on the bus with a chicken on his lap and stuff, and then there's a sort of hip young guy, you know, with a with a beret or whatever. They're people who don't look like punters to well, that's, me. That's who they want. Yeah, I know, but it. it doesn't I find I would those sorts of people be swayed by an ad like that? I mean, I, it must work for them, but I just I find the whole thing a bit weird. I mean, what they do is is they and they shouldn't be allowed to do this. There seems no regulation on the ads, and this is a mentality that has to be parented against. You have to make sure your kids understand this is not true. The f- idea that it's great to watch a game, any any sport. But it's even better if you've got a bet on it. Yeah, no, it's crap. It's terrible. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Uh, one more I wanted to touch on quickly, and uh, as yet, um, uh, still a thought bubble, but um, suggestion that GWS is looking to play a game for premiership points in the US. And I've got to say, as soon as I saw the headline, my eyes sort of rolled back in my head a bit. Um not so much. I mean, you know, nothing surprises anymore. And we've had games to premiership points in Shanghai and uh, we've had them in New Zealand. But just the timing of this, and I guess they've got no control over the news coming out. But it, again, to me, it's sort of all that will do. If I was the AFL's PR or media person, I would see that story and go, oh, no. Because just at a time when we're on the nose and people think we're taking our eye off the ball and not worried about looking after running an actual competition. Here's another speculative, you know, spreading of the gospel for what sort of, at at what cost and for what sort of return. And it's just another thing that sort of makes people think these guys have taken their eye off the ball. And surely now is the time where we need to just tidy things up in our own backyard. When I say tidy things up, the score review system, you know, stuff like that. The, um... I don't think we should be pioneering new parts of the globe when we have this ongoing debate uh, about Tasmania. You know, we we have one of our heritage football states which doesn't have representation in the national competition. That, to me, is fundamentally wrong. You know, deal with all that stuff. You know, fix up the the grassroots, the problems of... um, uh, clubs folding at country and suburban level for lack of resources. You know, let, let's get our 
we're never going to be a world game, you know. So why don't we make the game we have in our own backyard as good as possible before worrying about this sort of stuff? A couple of observations. First of all, one word comes to mind again, and that is junket. It doesn't do the AFL any good to have seen the Shanghai game, Gil McLaughlin sitting there, and I just don't believe it's much more than a junket. Obviously, there's a financial benefit to Port Adelaide, but that has other reasons to do with um, Adelaide, the actual city, not the football team, and business opportunities in China. Okay, first of all, GWS has no following in Australia. What they are doing, taking their eye off the ball and spending more than 30 seconds on playing anywhere else other than the west of Sydney and making that a viable proposition is utterly ridiculous. And the other thing is, has anybody actually thought through what the end game with this is? We are very fortunate to have a magnificent sport that is played exclusively within our country. Imagine 100 years from now, if it actually was successful in China and America. Do we want our players being you know, handpicked by wealthier teams in different countries? What does that do to watching football in Australia? I don't think soccer in, say, well, smaller countries is, I don't know, pick a country in Belgium or even in Australia is any better for the fact that it's part of the world game. All it means for the A-League is that any player who can kick a ball with both feet ends up moving to Europe. I don't understand why this, why there is an idea that expansionism is success. I don't find it a mark of success at all. There's nothing to be gained by going overseas. No, couldn't agree more. All right, that's uh, a look at the news that's cropped up this week, um, let's get on with the show. On Footyology, Media Watch. All right, let's talk the fourth estate. Now, I know you had some thoughts about, and we've touched on it before, but uh, the, I guess, signing off of a round of footy and um, post-round coverage and uh, you know, a bit of self-promotion here. Part of what we've tried to do this year with a second um, podcast uh, as quickly as possible after the last game is get a review of the round in footy um, out there to the public. And it's it's one of the great... um, paradoxes of the new era of footy that in you know an era an era an era of media saturation of the game there is actually an argument that there's less sort of tying up and um wrapping up of a round of football than ever before which is really bizarre so get, share us, uh, share with us your thoughts on this and also I feel that I'm well placed to talk about it because part of that post-match experience is allowing fans to have their say on certainly the game just passed and at the end of the round, the round just passed. And for over a decade, I hosted Finey's Final Siren. and On SEN. On SEN. And quite frankly, it's not been successfully replaced. I well, well, what has... Um, what has replaced it? Now, I, I was doing what we called the wash-up yep. on SEN after the Friday night game last year. Mm-hmm. I, I I tried very hard to sort of replicate the feel of Finey's final siren, 
it was pretty hard to do for a number of reasons, and I, I'm not sort of making excuses. You know, there was a well, I am. There was a one three hundred number that was national. It was a national audience. It didn't have that sort of yeah. The idea is to tap Melbourne in. feel. You know, you know what I I created, which was the aim, was to extend that football experience where you are tribal, irrational, and still invested in the game. Try and extend it out for an extra hour after the game, mm. especially for those people uh, at matches, big matches at the MCG, which invariably occurred on a Friday night and at Marvel Stadium, then Eddie had, of course, and before that, something else, to continue the fire in the belly. Yeah. It'd be amazing how many football fans are still bluing about the umpiring or about certain incidents. Yeah. And the next morning, they're more rational and understand that it wasn't the reason for the loss. And, or, and in some cases, more sober. Correct. So you try and tap into that emotional... Um, connect that people have and dissipates after a game. And so you were doing that Friday night and Sunday night and and, and Saturdays for quite a few years. Oh, and okay. Because yeah, fr- um, then it became Saturday night lights or something. Yeah, yeah, but for six or seven years, all three nights, and right. then and then the Sunday night was a different program. It was a little bit on the game just passed, but that was often an interstate game with less emotional connection for people in Melbourne, but. Certainly an opportunity to really get stuck into the round. And there, and I had devices that would trigger good responses and it was a popular program. Mate, if I had a potato for every time somebody has come up to me in the last year and a half and asked, where's Finey's final siren or I miss Finey's final siren, mm. I would have a potato field. It's interesting. I could make, uh, inter- interesting. I could make um, a lot of mashed potatoes. Interesting currency you've chosen to use here. Most people say a dollar, and you went with a potato. I thought, where's this going? Well, I could. I could. Why potato? I could start my own chip company. Yeah, well, Finey's crisps. I do love potatoes. Exactly. Not everybody loves money, but everybody loves potato. So, um, so here's the problem. Last Sunday night, and there might be various reasons for this. It, it may be because of the unusual finishing time of the Collingwood Bulldogs game. That game finished at what six thirty? Uh, no, no, it was three twenty start. Okay, but I'm saying three twenty start. So six yeah. o'clock is a little bit different for most Sunday nights. Well, I, and I actually, just on that, th- this year has been different. I mean, the the pattern most years has been the third game starts at 4.40 and finishes about 7.20. That's right. This year it's been all over the shop. And again, this weekend coming up actually, um, the final game won't finish until 8pm because it's in Perth. So that's been thrown out. Yeah, so you need to be a little bit versatile in your programming. Now, I think it was a pretty important game. Collingwood, a genuine premiership contender, remain a bit of a conundrum because they seem to only put the foot down in the last quarter. Mm -hmm. That certainly would have been a talking point for the legion of Collingwood supporters who always want to have a bit of a chat after the game and a bit of analysis. And for the Bulldogs, it was a good performance and their fans would have been blueing over the Bailey Williams decision. Did you see that, where he was held by the foot that we discussed last week? Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. So I just thought, okay, as I was heading in here because we started around that time and just a little bit after the end of the game, I, I felt that there was stuff to listen to after the game or watch after the game. And was there? Okay, on Macquarie Sports, they were talking rugby league, completely oblivious to the fact that there was any football. 3AW mm. had gone to other programming, non-football. Business show. Yep. SEN had a an incredible 
decision, they were playing highlights of SEN South Australia's morning show. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah that, that would have a lot of cachet in Melbourne. And on Fox Football, a 90-minute special 350th anniversary episode edition of The Bounce. That's a very interesting milestone that they chose to do a 90-minute edition. And the program started with Jason Dunstall saying it's a little bit self-indulgent, but because it's our anniversary special program, no highlights of the Bulldogs-Collingwood game, but we do have the Collingwood song for you. So they showed the players singing the Collingwood song, and that was the end of any mention of Collingwood Bulldogs. Hey, just on that, why why is there this belief of TV programmers or directors or whatever that everyone's desperate to see the team winning the song? Something for the kids. I couldn't give a stuff. We're not kids. It reminded me, this absolute vacuum, void, black hole of coverage after the game reminded me of when I was younger and I, I would go to the Gold Coast for holidays. And I remember once I went there and St Kilda were playing on a, a something like a Sunday or Sunday night or something and had a very good win, a surprise win over a Richmond or an Essendon or something like that. It was a really good win. Mm. And, you know, I was mad one-eyed St Kilda, probably more so than I am now, and I was just desperate for some follow-up of the game. Yeah. But when you're in southern Queensland at that time, there was nothing. And do you know what I had to contend myself with to keep on enjoying the win? What? Every hour on the hour, there was a news service on radio or that, I, that I'd picked up, and I could just hear the scores again. Just the scores. No goals, no best players. And then I had to go down... I was 7am, I was down Orchid Avenue waiting for the Herald Sun to arrive, <laughs> and that doesn't come till about 8.30, uh-huh. and I finally got my hands on the match summary. It was it was like trying to follow the game in Vladivostok. Okay, so why is there, perversely, like I said before, you know, at a time where there's saturation coverage, why is there now this void? I Forest and trees, I think, you know programmers that have a the luxury of 24-hour football a football station at Fox seem to have got so caught up in a sidebar coverage of the game you know with the bounce and with up the gut so on Friday night when they should really be getting stuck in stuck in the Friday night football they go to up the guts on Sunday night it's the bounce yeah it makes no well and and Saturday night they have Saturday stretch which and I talked about this the other week for whatever reason this season has gone sort of vaudeville so you have to ask you know again is it because they've got the luxury of so much programming to fill that they've become over invested in alternative football coverage it's great to have a bit of a quirky program but to have them post match right through the weekend I, again they're not seeing the forest for the trees and that they, they did do this i don't know if you remember but Dwayne russell used to host uh, a modern version of the winners and initially they had it on the Monday night, I think, after a round, and it was it was exactly what you'd think it was, a, a highlights package from each game, grab from each coach, Dwayne topping and tailing every game, you know, it was very straight up and down, but it ap- absolutely served a purpose, and then 
it it moved straight up. It was yeah, it came on straight after the last live game on a Sunday, and it was perfect. And then I reckon it wasn't all that long ago, maybe five years ago, they scrapped it. And actually, maybe it was longer ago because the bounce has been going a fair while now, hasn't it? But yeah, like you, it it just it doesn't make sense to me, and it's sort of I wonder if it's caught up with this belief. Um, remember when Channel 7 sort of scrapped the replay because there was a thing, you know, replays don't rate, only live coverage rates. So maybe there's this belief that, you know, if it's not a live game, it's got to be um, it's it, it's got to be former players sitting around saying controversial things or comedy, in inverted commas. It's, I think it, it can be related back, you know, that, that game that kids used to play, Broken Telephone? No. Well, you... Sit kids in a circle and you whisper something in one oh, of them. Oh, Chinese whispers. Yeah. Well, broken telephone, we call it. Did you? Yes. Okay. Broken Chinese telephone. No, we were particularly non-racially... Stereo- Actually, you put, yeah, no, that, yeah, that is a point. So, so here's how I that feel... That is incredibly racist now, think about it. Yes. Okay, I apologise for that. So, broken telephone, you know, you'd start with... You'd tell a kid, I think this city is great, and then be shocked when the last 10-year-old stands up and says I drink it's shitty but <laughs> but wait so yeah. I feel there's a, a a bit like this where the obvious right you've got a, it goes through a lot of hands probably with producers and and over a period of time different heads of football at Fox right yeah and they started off with a basic product like Dwayne Russell's program which is what people want and then a new person comes in and goes well anybody could come up with that i'm just going to make it a bit more interesting and after a decade of five different people and all their underlings making it a little bit more interesting you end up with up the guts the bounce and sunday yeah you end up you go from a a highlights package of a game to jason dunstall and danny frawley dressing up as clowns um hitting each other on set yeah that's not much of a departure really is it and it doesn't happen overnight. It happens year on year. But it does happen. It happens year on year where people are just trying to overlay their imprint by making things a little bit quirky or a little bit more different. Mm. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. Um, all right. Now, I want to touch on something a little bit different, but I received an interesting email during the week, and uh, it was from someone called Tom, and uh, I know you'll be listening, Tom, so I want to stress here I'm not having a – a major crack, and he, it was a good email. It was, um, you know, saying he, he likes the podcast and, uh, you know, he, he didn't used to be a fan of uh, yours, fine, but he's warm to you. And, oh, that's good. Um, no, but I get the whack, don't worry. So Even better. I'll, <laughs> I'll read it out. Just um, there's, no, there's no gratuitous abuse or anything. Uh, Roko, it becomes increasingly embarrassing and blatantly obvious how jealous you are of so many media heads in better positions than you. Your player takeover rant on both episodes this week really showed how you feel. You also have this thing that's crept in where you feel the need to criticise young people, their tastes and their humour throughout the show. Most are incredible generalisations, truly showing how out of touch you are and how you're clearly living a pretty sheltered life. Also not to mention your clear lack of humour with only the ability to quote ridiculous American shows or movies in pretty irrelevant circumstances. I know Classic Rowan will be very upset and just wanting to jump back and fight, but the reality is I've discussed this with three other friends who listen separately to the podcast, all aged between 22 and 27, and this is the one thing we all agree on. 
Take it how you please, but we're your audience being honest about how you come across. Um, I'm not by any means someone who thinks Rocco doesn't have his finger on the pulse when it comes to footy, hence why I still listen, but there is no need for the ridiculous other stuff that comes along too. So, okay, thanks for the email first off, Tom. And um, why I'm sort of addressing it here is something happened during the week that made me think about this email. So, um, first of all, the player takeover thing, I, I just find it a bit, it's a bit gratuitous given the numbers of players that there are already in the football media. And interestingly, um, as people know, I, I read um, the Big Footy fan forum a fair bit and people are talking about it on that. And that seems to be the prevailing view that, um, you know, why do we need the player takeover thing when we get so many players already? It's it's a bit gratuitous. And it seems to be based on the premise that, People are in awe of footballers, so you know, sit them in front of a cue card or whatever, and wow, people will be enraptured because look, Marcus Bontempelli is doing TV. And I watched on the couch on Monday night, and they had Marcus Bontempelli and Jeremy Howe, and and they were good, you know. And and but I wouldn't say that there was any incredible new insight that they delivered. You know, it it just appears to me the whole thing to be a promotional vehicle. For the players, so it just seems to me something like the player takeover thing is um, answering a question that hasn't really been asked. So that was why I, I brought it up, and and you know the rants sort of done a bit sort of satirically. So there's that element to it too. Um, in terms of the young people, I think why you've said that, Tom, I suspect is because at one point in the rant I said, um, oh, you know. Uh, Dermy and Dicko doing their fart gag routine on Saturday stretch and the 21-year-old producers pissing themselves. Now, apologies if it came across like being dismissive of young people. I'm not. I'm I'm frequent with a lot of them, including my own kids, and uh, I live in fear of them mostly. Um, But why why I mentioned that in that context was that I think one of the problems with the amount of stars, uh, you know, former players or current players in footy media now, not only that, but that combined with the fact that the people around them, producers, etc., etc., are tending to be younger and younger because it's a it can be a thankless job and it doesn't necessarily pay well, and it's a stepping stone to you know quote bigger things in the media. So. That's just the way it is. You know, TV and radio production staff tend to be pretty young. But because of that youth, I think they're sort of less likely to challenge the stars and the former players and the current players on what happens. So someone might, you know, one of those former players or current players might have an idea that actually doesn't stand up very well, but is a young person who's just sort of taken their first steps in the industry and a little bit starstruck, are they going to challenge them on it? Are they going to say, ask the questions that need to be asked is, well, does this idea stand up? You know, if you're going to go with that bit of information, do you have the sources to back it up, etc., etc.? And I think that's more difficult when you're of that age and of that lack of experience, whereas, and not just us, but, you know, like we've, we've both been in the business a fair while, you know, we're, we're a bit over the aura around footy stars you know so we're probably in fact maybe we go too far the other way and we're sort of too um 
you know, prepared to challenge them or, or you know, sort of not, um, you know, bow at their feet, as it were. So that's why I mentioned the youth thing. As for the humour, well, I don't know, I can't, I'm not a judge on whether I'm funny or not, but I don't know, I've got quirky tastes in comedy as well. I don't know, is South Park that quirky? You wouldn't have thought so. Um Anyway, uh, so no, I appreciate the email, Tom, and it's good to get that sort of feedback. I mean, anyone else, if you're hearing this and thinking Tom's spot on or whatever, um, you know, send us an email at info at footyology.com.au and uh, you can have your two bobs worth on the topic as well. But um, to give this a hook, this story emerged during the week, finally, about Alistair Clarkson to Coach Carlton. And I thought, what? And I read it. And all it was, was Ben Dixon had written a piece for Fox Footy saying that it made sense for Alistair Clarkson to bail out of Hawthorne and to go and coach Carlton. And I kept waiting for the the uh, the head, you know, the uh, the golden nugget there, as in, you know, look, sources have told me or, uh, you know, uh, there's a suggestion that, blah, blah. And it, it wasn't there. It was just Dicko sort of saying, well... I think time's right for Clarko to leave Hawthorne and go to Carlton. And this somehow mutated, was picked up by media talking about other media, which is something else we've spoken about here, and mutated into a news story, which for 24 hours, everyone was having a piece of until Clarko himself came out and spoke to the Hawthorne players and addressed the, um, quote, elephant in the room. And then Tom Scully did a press conference and he was asked about it and he said, well, Clarko's just said to us he's not going anywhere. Now, I'm not having to go up Ben Dixon here at all because his piece is quite valid. It's his view on why it makes sense for Clarko to leave. But again, I wonder if it's a function of the youth and inexperience of some people in, in the industry that they see an opinion by a player of some profile or former player of some profile and leap on that like that automatically makes it news. Whatever. I wasn't even listening. I was. Oh, thanks. I was checking Chloe Kardashian's Instagram hashtag socks better than sex, and there are like thirty-two different pictures of socks, and some of them are very good. Okay, can you now explain that you're not actually doing that, and you were listening intently, and you now have a very considered view. Hey there, Daddy-O. If you don't like the radio, get off the patio. Look, I can, despite rumours to the contrary, I can confirm that not only does Rowan connect and like younger people, that I believe he used to be one. (laughs) No, I'm not sure I was, actually. (laughs) No, no, I'm not looking for you to stick up for me here. What what do you think of the... that? and and incidentally, actually, sorry, I will say this, talking about young people, we actually have the involvement of a lot of younger people. Uh, our wonder producer, Carl Bianco, is sitting with us right now. Carl's Eight. 18. He's just done his HSC. <laughs> actually, how old are you, Carl? No, seriously. 22. He's so, a baby. Um, but he's a, you know, he's a very seasoned 22 years old, and he does a fantastic job. So we've got Carl on board. We've got uh, Dylan Leach, who has been in the business for quite a while, but is still a, a guy in his 20s. He's writing for Footyology. Shane Hope, uh, who writes for Footyology. Uh, Shane's, I'm pretty sure Shane's still in his 20s. So, you know, it's not like we don't appreciate the work of younger journos. Um, 
I tweeted something the other night. In fact, we should have talked about this. Tom Morris's story he wrote for Fox Footy about the score reviewers and the fact that of the six score reviewers in Melbourne, only two of them are goal umpires of a decent experience, and the other four are AFL staffers moonlighting for two hundred and fifty bucks. I mean, that was a fantastic story. I thought that was a really good story, and I was absolutely staggered that that wasn't picked up by anyone else, and yet. Dicko's thought piece was sort of written up elsewhere as a news story. So, um, anyway, I've said my piece. Anything else? No, I, look, Tom makes valid points, including that he likes me more now than he used to. The reality is that not about connecting with young people. In terms of doing a podcast and, and trying to be relevant, you do have to especially because we do Media Watch, you do have to tread where a lot of people don't like to tread. Mm. And I think we've brought some positive spins to Media Watch. We give praise where praise is due. But like most things, more newsworthy are where media falls short. Now, that does put us in a dangerous position of looking a little bitter and twisted. Mm. I don't believe... Which we were anyway. I I don't believe that I am. (laughs) No, I, I, I think you have to be able to separate observation from jealousy. I, I don't believe Rowan's jealous of anybody or feels that... I've never heard him, for example, say, you know, that person shouldn't have that job, I should be doing that, etc., etc. Actually, you know, can I just say, uh, I'm just thinking about this as you're saying it, I, I reckon once upon a time I would have probably conceded, yeah, I probably am, I reckon I'm well past that now. And the reason being that I think the pigeonholes in which you have to fit now to be a TV star or whatever are so narrow and so restrictive that you can't really do it in the way you want to do it, i.e., as far as football and TV goes, to analyse the game or commentate on the game, you, you have to be a former player to have that authority. And if you're a journo type... It has to be news-breaking. Now, we've talked about this before. You, you and I uh, sort of fall in the middle there somewhere. And um, I, I'm sort of not interested in that medium now unless I can do what I really want to do. And I don't think there's ever going to be a, a um, room for that because of the sort of restrictions on where, where TV programming goes. Okay, my final word on this. Yep. We're comfortable in our own skins talking about football, talking about any football issue, any historical issue in football. I think we're well-placed to talk about. And I think we can speak on football to people of all ages. As far as being um, socially, as as far as sort of pop culture-wise and being up-to-date with everything that the younger generation are currently involved in, we might miss the mark sometimes. Take that as something to laugh at rather than something to be um, sort of derisive of as a pitfall of ours. I don't, think it's a neg- I don't think it's a negative quality to be disconnected to the younger generation if we do so in a humorous manner. I think that that's, there's an element of humour to it. The final word is on people within the media. Take this as, a, as your own ability. Use this to judge whether somebody is a worthwhile member of the football media. If you are a decent performer at 
media level. You do not need the CEO of the AFL to come on and do an ad for you saying that you are, in fact, a voice worth listening to. People will work it out for themselves. That's my final word. Okay, no, I, I get that. And uh, I'm just off to listen to my best of Led Zeppelin collection. All right, let's preview some games. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Alrighty, back to the full nine-game menu. Let's not muck around. And a Thursday night game again. It's in Melbourne. That doesn't happen often. It's at Marvel Stadium and 7.20 tonight, as we speak, between Essendon and GWS. Um, big selection news to the Bombers. Marty Gleeson nearly missed two full years of footy after um, breaking his ankle in a pre-season game against Geelong last year. Uh, unfortunate timing because he was really becoming an important part of that uh, defensive unit. Marty is back on deck, replacing uh, Matt Guelphy. GWS, three changes. They have lost Matt DeBoer, who was obviously a pretty important run-with player for them. But, uh, boy, uh, there's a lot of talent still in the lineup. What uh, do you think is going to happen, Fine. Very hard to tip Essendon on what we saw last week. You get a very different Essendon back playing at Marvel Stadium. But GWS, oh, I think that they've got enough firepower, enough, too much skill around the ground for Essendon to quell, so I'm tipping GWS. Yeah, same. I mean, look at midfield. Cornelio, Kelly, Taranto, Hopper, all in fantastic form. Mummy, pretty good value in the ruck. Their defence standing up well. Davis, Haynes, Williams, Tomlinson, etc., etc. Up forward, Cameron, Finlayson, Himmelberg, Green. You know, I just... I, I I wanted to try to argue a case to the Bombers, and in the end, I couldn't. Uh, record at Marvel Stadium. Bombers are going pretty well there. I think they've won seven of the last eight. Giants haven't played there this year. Only twice last year, too, one of which was a draw um, against your boys, Finey, and the other one a, a thumping win over Carlton. So I guess familiarity might, might be an issue. Um, GWS coming off the bye, that might be an issue. But it would be a it would be a sizable upset, wouldn't it? Look, Essendon, Essendon sort of has this ability to just when people are saying, "Oh, they're pretty ordinary," pull out a, a great performance. But you know, if you if you tip them, you it's just purely on hunch. Nothing logically suggests that uh, they're worthy of your tip. And um, I have to concur with you. I think GWS win. Might not be by a heap, but I think GWS have to take the points here, don't they? Yeah, I'm going GWS. And by the way, you've hit the front 77 to 76. Ah, finally. Oh, finally. Inevitable, is it? We'll see how it ends up. (laughs) I didn't mean Only because I tipped Essendon last week, which was redonkulous. Yeah, well, that that certainly would have been an upset. All right, so Giants for both of us. Okay, Friday night in Adelaide. Uh, no, it's not in Adelaide. It's at GMHBS. BA. BA. Tell you what, it's a mouthful. Uh, it's at Cadinia Park, and it's between Geelong and Adelaide. Uh, Adelaide's last win down at the Cattery Finey was, uh, I think, 16 years, 2003. Um, Geelong, uh, they suffered the uh, the post uh, by syndrome again. Um, eighth year in a row, they've lost their first up game after a bye. However, interestingly, uh, every previous occasion, they've rebounded to win the next game pretty well. 
Um, Adelaide starting to get it together, aren't they? I mean, they've won seven of their last nine now. They're sort of well ensconced in the eight, looking to take that further. I still think they're a fair bit off where they were in um, 2017. Um, and I think Geelong, yeah, Geelong after that disappointment last week uh, need to make a, a bit of a statement at home. I think they should be too good. I'll actually say this. First of all, one of the reasons that Adelaide hasn't won there for 16 years is they are one of the teams that looked at games at Geelong in certain seasons, put the queue in the rack and didn't even send over their best teams. Mm. So that 16-year absence is partly their own fault. The other thing now that comes to play is, as you mentioned, Geelong on the rebound. Geelong are, for mine, the best team in the competition. And as I pointed out, their loss last week to Port Adelaide wasn't terrible in that it was not a good night for them, yet they lost by less than two goals. Yeah, I don't think many people would be tipping Adelaide. And if Adelaide was to win this, two things would come into play. Adelaide would be a premiership contender. Yep. and Geelong would move right back into the field. Yep. I don't think either of those things will be an outcome. Uh, I agree. All right, cats for both of us. Let's go to Saturday afternoon, one forty-five at the MCG. Hawthorne taking on West Coast, and um, you don't often see this matchup occurring with the following backdrop: West Coast being a favourite and starting to sort of click into a higher gear, and Hawthorne really struggling. Uh, I think they've lost what three in a row now. The Hawks. Um, I guess much of the speculation around this game, will the Eagles pick Nick Natanui to make his senior comeback at the same ground where he did his knee uh, almost a year ago? I think it was round 17 against uh, Collingwood. Um, But the MCG itself, um, once a bogey ground for the Eagles, has become a happy hunting ground. They've won their last four games there now, and three of them against the Magpies, actually. Um, Tom Barras incidentally in terms of people on the comeback trail uh, he's not far off uh, and could actually even play in this game he will play because he's a clone of Jeremy McGovern's and McGovern is out for a game so looking pretty good for the Eagles isn't it and uh, you know they've sort of just been going but we did say uh, frequently look out you know when these guys come back um, they've got a lot of improvement that's still the case but pretty hard to look Hawthorne if this were a year ago, you'd probably comfortably tip Hawthorne, wouldn't you? But the the balance of power has shifted, and Hawthorne just isn't what it was. It's pretty hard to recommend a tip for it. I mean, Clarko's a realist, and I'm very interested. Selection for this game will be confirmed tonight, but I expect Hawthorne in the coming weeks to really give every youngster on the list an opportunity, and uh, apart from Birchall, who's due back in a week or two after playing, after playing games in the VFL. I think some of the other older guys in the team are just going to have to sit aside as Clarko analyses where the list is at and gives everybody an opportunity. So, Do you think I'll do that? Yes, absolutely. Because yeah, he knows he, he doesn't need to... He's not one of those coaches that needs to hang on for every win to hold his position. Yeah. Or... or at very worst, have a good position coaching in the AFL. If Hawthorne was to say, we're going to move on, Clarko, mm. there'd be clubs, you know, namely Carlton, North Melbourne, St Kilda, Essendon, beating a path to his door. So he can be more expansive and take more risks and afford to have losses more so than other coaches. So do, you, do you think they should be doing... I mean, because they're still 
nub. They should be doing it. They're still very much in finals contention. Mathematically, but not seriously. And for them, it's for a team that's won three premierships in a row in recent history, Mm. it's not about sneaking into the eight and giving youngsters an opportunity, giving a team an opportunity to taste finals football. That would be the motivation for. St Kilda to keep going, even yeah. for Essendon to make the finals yeah. because of a lack of exposure of a lot of their list to finals football. They don't need that at no, all. No, you're right. In fact, if you look at it historically, it's those few years after a sustained run of success that can be the downfall, can't it? And I'm thinking back to Essendon here after... Just hanging after, on for too yeah. long. Yeah, and Essendon sort of made finals for, um, what, three years after... Uh, being runners up in two thousand and one, but and the pre- compressed nature of the ladder means, you know, if you sacrifice a few games towards the end of the season, you'll get picked four instead of picked ten. Yeah, all right. So we're both going for the Eagles. I am going for the Eagles. All right. As long as the Eagles are remain vigilant and understand that if you keep Bruce and Gunston starved of the football, keep them out of form, you cannot lose to Hawthorne. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. They should know that. All right, Sydney take on Gold Coast. Uh, Twilight Saturday, 4.35 at the SCG. Remember last year? Well, I was going to say, that that is one of the greatest upsets in modern football history. Um, I think a very similar setup, actually. I think Gold Coast had won only three games. They'd lost the last, even more, I think they'd lost 11 Um and the Swans got five goals up, and somehow Gold Coast won. It was unbelievable. It is the third biggest upset of all time. What are the other two, quickly? Well, at number two was 1959, round one, when South Melbourne was served up as absolute cannon fodder for Collingwood to yeah. unveil their flag. And is number one the 58 grand final? No, 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 no. Number one is clearly 1963, Geelong versus Fitzroy. Oh, yeah. Fitzroy's only win in two years. Yeah. Unfortunately, Kevin Murray coached those two years, but he was playing for Victoria that day. Yeah. And suggestions that Geelong might have been um, decimated by Victorian state responsibilities is, is incorrect. In fact, the fact that Kevin Murray didn't play counterbalanced the two Geelong players that didn't play. But Geelong went and, on and, and won Geelong, the premiership. Geelong win the flag that yeah. year, and it's Fitzroy's only win in two years. Yeah, no, good good call. All right, Sydney Gold Coast. Um, so I've set that up. Buddy, no Buddy, of course, for yep. the next month. Um, but Sydney, they're looking all right, aren't they? They've won four of the past six. Um, pretty... Uh, reasonably emphatic win over Hawthorne last week. Didn't yep. say so on the scoreboard, but I thought they dominated by and large. Yeah, they, they won comfortably. Uh, can we think of anything to recommend a, a similar upset to last year? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame How a goal, How do me. you think... Oh, yes, I know they're losing games, but generally, are they sort of holding their... Yeah. Holding yeah. it together yeah, better than last year? Gold Coast? Just. Yeah. You, you need to win some of these games coming home otherwise it'll be considered a repeat of the previous year yeah which, i don't think this will necessarily be a shellacking but i think it'll be a comfortable i don't win think for the home score side. enough to shellack no anymore, exactly it could be a shellacking it could be one of your classic 27 point annihilations yeah, yeah. all right so both going for the swans there Jeez, yeah. this, is a, this is a bit boring yeah uh, a, i think gold coast get a couple of players about pierce hanley might play oh yeah all couple, right a couple might come back uh, Collingwood, North Melbourne, Marvel Stadium, Saturday night. Uh, of course, replay of the 1977 Tide Grand Final 
Finally, and in fact, Saturday night on 3AW, Roco goes retro segment. We are looking at the 1977 oh, Tide Grand Final. I suggest you look at this game pre-1975. This game was impossible to watch on TV. Honestly, I used to watch this game highlights or on the big oh, replay black in and black white. and white. Yeah. There was no distinction. There was barely any distinction between the two jumpers. But we survived somehow. Uh, I'll tell you, if we didn't get colour TV, there would have been an uproar. No, there's a there's a very good reason we have to do 77 on Roko Goes Retro, and that's because we touch on musical, uh, uh, what the big music was that year, and of course that means I get to play the Sex Pistols on 3AW, which would be some achievement. What song are you going to play? Um, I'm between. tossing up between God Save the Queen and Anarchy in the UK. Yeah. What do you reckon? Oh, there's probably Pretty some other vacant. ones you can't play. Uh, yeah, not really. I think they were pretty expletive free their songs. Oh, there's anyway, there's a song about Nancy and oral sex. Uh, yeah, let's move on. Um, so Collingwood North. Uh, I can go out with a girl whose surname was Spunction. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, Sid did. Well, he, maybe she said I, I shouldn't have gone out with a, someone called Vicious. Yeah. Uh, all right, you know Col- he wasn't born Sid Vicious. <laughs> yes, I do know that. Alan Vicious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was Johnny Rotten's real name? Cyril Rotten. Cyril, <laughs> Cyril Rotten. Um, or a Collingwood, uh, they're just doing enough, aren't they? And Nathan Buckley decidedly unimpressed with that win over the Western Bulldogs last Sunday. Uh, Roos have been generally a lot more competitive post uh, Brad Scott, but um, they probably got found out a bit ultimately in their last outing before the bye against GWS. In Hobart, which in is, Hobart. you know, it's a, a little bit of a concern given Fortress Hobart had been happy hunting ground for North. But, but this game, it's there's a seems to be a bit of a feel around this game that maybe Collingwood, you know, you know when a side sort of wins without being great for a few weeks in a row and you think, well, maybe they're ripe for the picking. Uh, could do you, could does go that, the other way. Does that, what they could say, we're, okay, we're going to get serious. Home, yeah, well, which way do you think it will I think go? Collingwood are more likely. Collingwood have more scope to improve their football than North have. So, for me, it's more likely that Collingwood are comprehensive in their beating of North Melbourne rather than North Melbourne beating Collingwood. Yeah, okay. I'm not saying they will win comprehensively, but I'll say they will win. Uh, Collingwood's concerns, I think... Laid a little bit with the return of Mason Cox. I just think they're a better team with Mason Cox. Mm. Now, Dugowie was, he was just sort of, he lost focus against the Bulldogs. He was not anywhere near the tuned in footballer. We He was just a going. Correct. But I'm sure that the coach would have had to talk to him. He's super dangerous up forward. They are way too good in the middle. Collingwood for North Melbourne. North Melbourne don't have a lot of midfield depth. And I'd tip Collingwood to win it, I'd say, comfortably. There's a bit of a feeling the Pies aren't as good at Docklands, but they're... they're I think they're better at Docklands well, they're recent, at the moment. Their recent record there is actually really good. Yep. So we're both going for the Pies yep. there. Yep. Saturday night, uh, 7.10 Adelaide time. Port Adelaide taking on the Western Bulldogs. Uh, no doubt about uh, Port's credentials right now. That was a terrific win over the Cats last week. And, and look, the Doggies did what they've done a fair bit this year. They they held their own in general play, but just unable to put it on the on the board. 
the reality is they've got a midfield that wins a lot of the ball. They've got a lot of players who get a lot of the ball. Yeah. Well, last I week, think, I think McRae, 41. I think, um, yeah. I think Dunkley, have, 35. I think we have to accept they overuse the ball. Yeah. They, they need a different way of playing football. It's not giving their forwards anywhere near the separation or clear water to work in yeah. that I think the forwards would like. Norton's a very good player. He was, smoth- he was smothered on the weekend. Shaki will stay in the team. I... I think what a lot of people find a quality of Bulldogs, and that is that their midfield win the ball, I think is a negative for them. Uh, it's best summed up by the fact that they win clearances, yet it takes they don't move it directly in the forward line. So they, they can't take advantage of the 666 mm. like other teams would. I think they're too indirect. And that counts against them for me. What about Port? You know, really impressive. Um, you know, managed to shut down Geelong's potency last week. Really, uh, as we've discussed, they've got some some great kids, haven't they? With um, everyone knows and whole lot of. Yep, that is Butters and Rosie. <laughs> and uh, Jurek and um, uh, and Drew will get a game this week. Who? We will and Drew. Well, That's probably no. the stuff that Tom doesn't like. Let's, let's get rid of that. Um, <laughs> that one's for you, Tom. Uh, yeah, well, you know what? I also read a message on Big Footy from someone saying every every time we do the um, the line about Zach, um, they uh, quite piss themselves. So, uh, so Dersma, how do you spell his surname? D W R S M A. So is that? Dwarzma or D U U. It's having a W is confusing because we also have a letter called W. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it sounds funny. My D U U. It's he's only the second player in in. No. To have a W. Yeah. Who's the other one? Jamie Dersma, his uncle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I should have thought. That. Should have. Who, who about, do you reckon the other one was? Godfrey Vacuum. <laughs> I don't know. What about the game? I told you, I've got, I think Footscray have got an inherent problem. Footscray. Yeah. Okay. I call them by the name that people like to hear them yeah, called yeah. by. All right. Port Adelaide, we've both had question marks over Port. They have been, to use the old term, gay oh, they're deceivers. They're a tease. Gay deceivers. Yeah. Nothing got to do with anything. Sexual. Is that phrase a bit homophobic? No, it's got nothing to do with anything sexual. Yeah, it predated no. the word term gay. Yeah, for... but maybe some phrases have to move with the times. Oh, so you can't go to a school camp. <laughs> uh, so, well, can I say Chinese whispers? No, because that the gay meant that you'd whisper somebody to somebody and because it was hard to understand, it sounded like you were a Chinaman. That's racist. <laughs> oh come on so we're both tipping port alright let's move on and should it be called broken telephone or broken handheld device <laughs> well everyone knows you don't uh, you don't actually use these things to make calls on um, St Kilda <laughs> I rang the other day and I poured I quickly threw a bucket of water on it I didn't know what was happening with it <laughs> and then checked your betting app um, St Kilda Richmond Marvel Stadium 110 Sunday afternoon and they're back. Um, the Saints? No, they're, <laughs> they're back as in the catalogue of injured Richmond players. 
A very real possibility. In fact, I doubt it. They wouldn't bring them all back in one hit. But Cochin, Edwards, Lambert, Asbury, Short, Soldo, all potentially returning this week. Dyer. Yeah. Um, it's a, I tell you what, you're looking at a significantly different side if even half of those guys come back. Which is a dangerous thing because often in football when a number of players come back, no matter how well it reads on paper, it's a dangerous thing. You can't bring six guys that, I mean, Soldo was only out for a week, but with the bye, he's the most recent sort of returnee in terms of, it's very risky to bring back six players mm. who haven't played for over a month. Yeah, no, they that won't. That won't work. They won't. Um, so we'll see what happens. And we're, we're, No matter what, they'll beat St Kilda. But it still is a risky practice. Gee, you were quite dismissive there. Okay, I mean, yes, look, St Kilda stunk it up last week against Brisbane. Uh, if they get smashed here, will Richo survive it? Do you think? Oh, yeah, he'll, he'll survive the year. Yeah, I, I agree. But he might. it might be a... Further effectively, yes. Okay. Uh, do we give the Saints? Remember that so famous game two yeah, they years ago. Quite well against Richmond. I know that that yeah. was a famous game, but they've mm-hmm. had not bad periods against Richmond last year against Richmond at the MCG in the third quarter. St Kilda were all over them like the proverbial rash. They hit the front, and they actually should have parlayed that into quite a sizable lead at three quarter time. So mm. St Kilda enjoy playing against the Tigers. They're not as bad as they were last week, but they're not good enough to withstand Richmond, who have to win. Yep. These two teams have terrible percentages. Yep, yep. No, Tigers for me. All right, uh, Brisbane, Melbourne at the Gabba, 3.20 Sunday afternoon. Brisbane return home, having recorded, I think, their best win of the year against St Kilda. Now, I'm not saying St Kilda is in any way the best team that they've beaten. Nine goal third quarter. But gee, they looked, this is, that to me was the culmination of the promise that they've shown all year. They converted it into a, a, don't worry about the fact that it was only one quarter. Look, they came out of the game brilliantly. The first 15 minutes, they established that they were the best team and they really eased down in the last quarter. They won handsomely and for mine, that, is more likely to parlay into wins in the coming weeks than, say, Port Adelaide's win over Geelong, which was a Mm. statement game, hard-fought, brilliant win by Port Adelaide. But Brisbane, I think, turned a very important corner against St Kilda, and that is that their scores equaled their dashing dare and ability, and I think they'll beat Melbourne again in a very watchable performance. You're quite a fan of the word parlay, aren't you? I do like parlay. I, I do. It, it's got a good sort of feel I to it. I picked it up. It was best used in a movie called Easy Money starring Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. Where he was offered $10 million by his hated mother-in-law if he could stay off alcohol, gambling and swearing. And when he finds that out, he tells all his friends about it. And he tells his bookie about it. You know what his bookie says? Wow. Remember, this movie's 30 years old. Yeah. $10 million, that could pile you into a fortune. I was going to say, what about the mother-in-law as a comic device? Do you think that one sort of uh, outlived its usefulness? Not in my life. <laughs> I never quite understood that. I, I loved my mother-in-law. Um all right, yeah, I'm, I'm going for Brisbane too. Melbourne, uh, good win last week. Maybe there'll be, it shouldn't be, but maybe there'll be a bit of a, a subconscious sort of drop-off having knocked off Freo. 
Uh, which brings us to our final game involving none other than Fremantle taking on Carlton Opta Stadium Sunday afternoon, 3.20 local time, 5.20 on the eastern seaboard. Had to get that in again. Um, Jess, the picture's looking a lot gloomier for the Dockers than it was a fortnight ago, not only because they lost to Melbourne, but the injury woes. Having lost uh, Alex Pearce and Rory Lobb for the season, now they've lost Jesse Hogan with a foot injury. Stephen Hill's done his hammy. Um, Matt Tabin is out for, I think, the year. Aaron Sandilands haven't seen him at all. He hasn't played for two years. Yeah, I know. That's like saying Pavlich isn't playing. Yeah, or Clive Waterhouse. Um, but they've got baby Huey in the ruck who's doing pretty well, Sean Darcy. Uh, you'd expect them to win this, wouldn't you, despite the injuries? Yeah, I mean, Carlton's pretty much at full strength and they have performed really well under David Teague. Two games for a win against... Uh, disappointing Brisbane. Brisbane and that amazing seesawing game against the Bulldogs where they came back twice and almost pilfered a famous victory. Patrick Cripps returns to WA and he likes going home. Can play well. Be a great matchup, him and Fife. You'd tip Carlton probably at Marvel. Go on, do it. I'm not going to tip them, which Why? means, unfortunately, I can't make up any ground this week because <laughs> we've picked the same... Winners. I'm just going to do that for the rest of the season. Just pick exactly what you pick. Great. <laughs> okay. Um, no, no. cat from Mars Stadium in Ballarat. It's um, no. It certainly is one of those games where you know if Carlton won, yeah, it would be a surprise, but it wouldn't absolutely shock you. But uh, it wouldn't be St Kilda over Richmond or Gold Coast over Sydney. Correct. Correct. So uh, Dockers for me. So same tips. For both of us, that is previews with Punch. Uh, let's wrap this thing up. On footyology, the final word. Okay, competition time. All right, uh, we asked you to nominate most unusual injuries or most unusual reports. Um, and uh, you gave us some great entries, actually. I've got a couple. In fact, I didn't get the details of some of these, but I'll rattle off a few. Um, but there are a couple, before we announce our winner, a couple that really caught your eye, Finey. Pardon me. A couple of absolute beauties. Three, in fact, that I always have a couple of runners-up. Yep. Okay. So my first runner-up, my second runner-up was from Andrew Vella. Thank you, Andrew. And he reminds us of a combination, he says, of both injury and unusual report when Peter Philandy was playing for Port Melbourne (laughs) and, to quote Andrew, got hungry whilst in a pack with Chad Davis (laughs) of Springvale and nibbled on Chad's nuts. The only regret that I have from the incident is that there wasn't... Neil Clark wasn't playing, so we couldn't have nibbled on (laughs) Nobby's nuts. Uh, What did he get for that, Philandia? A mouthful of... (laughs) In terms of penalty... Weeks, a number of weeks. I'm not quite sure how many, but it was a painful injury as suffered by Chad. Yeah, no, I do, I do remember that one. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, what else you got for us? Brandon Eloise. That's good. A, a couple either. Um, oh, Brant. B-R-A-N-D-T. Yeah. Okay. And Eloise. Yep. Okay. Well, yep. What, are you now critiquing names? No. <laughs> so what was their entry? They claim Brad Otten's is the greatest klutz ever to have missed football because of injuries. 
It started in 2002 with the what they call the hammock incident when he was up a tree trying to install a hammock, fell and tumbled onto a garden stake. Oh, good one. Impaling himself. <laughs> oh. Ow. Yeah. The only thing more stupid than hot... Otten's trying to put up a hammock was Otten's trying to repair a boat propeller whilst it was still working. Apparently, he was received hand tendon injury, yeah, uh, sustained from ha- putting his hand in the water to attend to a faulty propeller on a boat, unaware that the propeller was on at the time. Ouch. Okay. Yep. All right. Uh, stay stay out of the backyard in the water, Brad. I think was the advice out of that. Yeah, do, um, do you like those? They're they're very good. So the winner's got to be good. Just a, a couple. I wrote down a few myself that I remembered. So Michael Voss almost lost a finger trying to attach a trailer to his car. Um, apparently, cut his finger so badly it was reportedly only joined to his body by his skin. Uh, Steve Stevie J. Um, well, that sounds ghastly. He had an interesting one, didn't he? He ruptured. A, remember this one? Ruptured a tendon in his thumb, reaching into a bag to grab his phone, and had to have surgery on it. Well, wow. reaching into a bag. What did you have in the bag, Stevie J? Uh, Zach Clark injured his knee while attending the Falls Festival in Lawn. <laughs> yeah, sure. So dance musical duty. Uh, uh, Brent Renoff, the um, Hawthorne Ruckman, um, treatment to burns on his back, arms, and legs after he was knocked into a beach bonfire on the Gold Coast. <laughs> That's not funny. That's hilarious. Uh, oh, sorry. What about? Uh, uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I just saw another one there, but no, I'm not going with that. Oh, David Spriggs. Remember David Spriggs, the Geelong midfielder? Yeah, yeah. Uh, jumped, jumped from a, a, yeah, jumped a wedge from, yeah. at the Lawn Pub. Yep. Um, landed awkwardly, injured his knee, missed the entire 2002 season. Yes. Uh, Dan Hanabry, 2009, out with some friends, tripped over a fence and fractured his cheekbone. Uh, oh, Jed Anderson, remember this one? Um, 2013, when he was at Hawthorne, caught a bug while out hunting for geese in Darwin, contracted pneumonia and was placed in an induced coma for six days. Um, and he thinks he may have got the illness after treading on something barefoot while he was in the Howard swamps. Oh, hell. Oh, Jared Grant stood on a stingray as well. And someone else stood on a stingray, didn't they? Was it um, Brisbane player? Uh, Archie Smith. There you go. Do you want to now? I know we had a bit of a giggle there, yeah. Um, and I'll read out the winner in a moment, yeah. But there has been, there was the most tragic injury of all football injuries. Uh, oh, this is involving the First World War or something, isn't it? No, no, no. This is St Kilda had a champion player called Fred Fli- Phillips, known as Flop Phillips. Yeah, he had a hair lip, and I think that's sort of how we got the nickname Flop. It was a mispronunciation of his surname. He was a brilliant player. Starfus and Kilda Backman played for Victoria during the trying late mid-twenties into the thirties. Mm-hmm. In 1932, at the end of the season, there was a lot of infighting at St Kilda and he left and was appointed captain coach of Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, tragically, 
and they they loved him at Hawthorne. They were pre- preparing for their you know breakout season, and on the eve of the first game of the year, two days before the first game of the season, he passed away, and he passed away because he had a a boil on his elbow, and in training with Hawthorne, the skin on the boil had been ruptured, mm. so it opened the boil, and unfortunately they trained on a wet afternoon and died from his new Hawthorne football jumper, ran into his boil, it became septic, and he passed away within 24 hours. 24 hours? Yep. Wow. Yeah, that, that is... A combination of a brand new jumper, rain, the unfortunate rupturing of the carbuncle or boil, and sadly he passed away. All right, so our winner... Uh, a bit more humorous than that, I'll tell you that much. His name is Al Meyer. Any comments on his name? No. Nope. He's got a brilliant injury, dear Ocran Finey. Here's a freak injury I recall from way back in 1988 when I was a whippersnapper. Fitzroy's champion fullback Gary Pert went to his girlfriend's for dinner one night and almost choked to death on a biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> he, had to under- he had to undergo surgery for the biscuit to be properly dislodged. Incredible. <laughs> I don't remember that. And, of course, he also recalls from a pre-season, the Adelaide Crows, the camaraderie exercise where Nigel oh, Smart yes. ended up burning his feet pretty badly, yes. the soles of his feet. In fact, it was Smart's idea, which has me wondering... Is that the time where he earned his nickname, not so? <laughs> uh, good work, Al. Uh, oh, I'd never heard that Gary Pert story. That's a ripper. So that's our winner. And what does he win? He wins a T-shirt from Andrew's Hamburgers, limited edition, and a cap from a cap. Andrew's Hamburgers, limited edition. So, Al, all you've got to do, presuming you hear this, uh, shoot us an email with your address and your T-shirt size, and our um, our prize team will get on the case and mail it off to you. Now, we're going to have new prizes next week, which means all the previous winners are once again eligible to enter. You could all enter again. Yes, we have an uh, exciting new item for our prize pool, so uh, make sure you tune in and make sure you keep those entries coming. We've had a great response, quite seriously, so uh, thanks for that, and uh, keep the entries coming in. Would you like to know this week's competition? I would, because you haven't told me, so I'm hoping it's all right. Give us an example from past or present, your favourite footballer, league footballer, in advertising. So it can oh, be, yeah, yeah, it can yeah. be, you know, some of those cheesy ads from the seventies and eighties. Yeah, give us an example, just one example. Oh, I d- all right, my favourite, a, a recent one that some won't win, at, a recent footballer in an ad. Uh, look. This is one that not many people will know. Yeah. In country Victoria, during his playing days, yeah. Tony Lockett did Gilly's Pies ads. Oh, yeah. It was just him standing there. He goes, Gilly's Pies, I could eat one. And then he takes a bite. He goes, or two or three. And given that he was putting on weight at the top, I thought it was a st- crazy. It was just so straight. It was like, because they're from Ballarat. Yeah. It's like his father knew the owner. Hey, <laughs> Tony, come back. You've got to do an ad. <laughs> All right, so uh, no, that's a good idea. That and and uh, all the famous. It's only football. Yeah. Just think of Dennis Lilly's carpet call ads, where yeah. the greatest fast bowler of all time <clears> is helping somebody move a carpet out of a warehouse. And when you say and when you say that, what immediately comes into your head? Call, call, no, carpet not that call. Bit. The experts in the trade. The experts in the trade. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, should be a good one. Send your entries into info at footyology.com.au. Uh, that's it for today. Thanks for your company. I uh, hope your team has a good win this weekend as we return to the full menu of nine matches. No, you're not saying any. Come on, quick. I just want to say that I love kids. I love children. Yes. And to quote W.C. Fields. Yeah. Of course I love children. Boiled with a little bit of white sauce. <laughs> uh, this one, re-our discussion on uh, youth. Uh, this popped into my head. Uh, it is, of course, Alice Cooper. And uh, we'll see you after round 15 on Sunday night for our review. See you later.